just a quick reminder, as we've been working through our, this series we're calling Core Values for Christ Followers, it's actually based upon the Ten Commandments. And as I said last week, uh, following the lead uh, provided by our children's programming that we're using, we're skipping over uh, the Seventh Commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Uh, that is an appropriate conversation, uh, but it's an appropriate conversation for another day and another time. <clears throat> I can't speak for any of you, but for me, uh, Noah's story in the video took me back in time. Um, anybody remember the first time that you remember stealing something? Okay. Um, I won't say this is the first time, but I do remember the first time that I remember. I was probably somewhere in those boys' age range, um, and it also happened at school. Uh, my fourth grade teacher was Mrs. Mix, and Mrs. Mix was kind of like a grandma, all right? And I can tell you which room, I can picture the building no longer exists, but I can picture where I was at in Waddles Park Elementary. And because I had a great relationship with Mrs. Mix, it was not uncommon for me to go up to her desk. And on this particular day, her desk was open just a little bit, you know that top one where you keep the pencils and stuff? And there was a cherry throat lozenge, which tasted a lot like candy. And I immediately knew that I needed that, not because I had a sore throat, but because I liked candy. I have to tell you, I can see that, I can smell that room, but I cannot tell you, I don't remember if I got caught, I don't remember if I confessed, or if I got away with it but to this day I do remember the feelings of guilt it can come back just as vivid as the picture of that lozenge lying there in her desk saying eat me all right <laughs> As Warriors helped us to see, Exodus chapter 20, verse 15 says, you shall not steal. And it is important that we wrestle a bit with what does it mean to steal? Somebody, again, not a lot of us, and I just want to, can I just take a sidebar here and just say what a delight it is to be up here watching little ones run around. Uh, if you can't see what happens up here, uh, you're missing out on a great blessing, but still try to listen to me at the same time, all right? Uh, but it, it's just, it's a joy. Uh, but what does it mean to steal? Somebody give me some help. You have to talk loud because I can't hear anymore. Taking something that's not yours. Taking something that's not yours. Dean? Taking something that you haven't earned or deserved. Taking something that you haven't earned or that you, you don't deserve, all right? Anybody else? Put it any differently? Let, let, let's ask this, and Lori kind of touched on this a little bit. Does stealing require deliberate intent? Yeah. Or, or can it be passive? I don't know. Hmm? Dan, you're shaking your head. It, it can't be passive? Okay. All right. So my, my next question is, is there a sliding scale or is it black and white? It's either stealing or it's not. Black and white. All right. So help me understand why is it that some people 
who wouldn't be tempted to take a gun and go rob the local convenience store might be tempted to keep the change if they get extra change. Would, would that be stealing? If they give you more change than you deserve? But while I may not rob that store clerk, if they make a mistake and give me too much change, is that stealing or isn't it? Yes, it is. We're all committed. It is. All right. So what about, I don't know what happened this year, but we'll go back to pre-COVID days. What about around April 15th? When I'm preparing my taxes, and maybe I just fudge the numbers a little bit, or I don't claim some extra income. Is that stealing? Okay, so we're all clear on that. Hopefully nobody's getting uncomfortable yet. In preparing for this message, it was really tempting to get caught up in the minutia or legalism of what is and isn't stealing. But these are questions that we probably should wrestle with just a little bit. Am I giving my employer an honest day's work for an honest day's pay? Right. Because if I'm not, am I stealing from them? Yes. Yes. I remember years ago, back when Ron was younger and I was younger, and he still worked at, at a certain manufacturing plant in the general vicinity. And, and he said, told me something like, for the typical hourly employee at his plant, if they actually got four hours, four hours of work out of an eight-hour day, that was good. Oh, my. It, did, did you tell me something like that, Ron? Yep, I, did. I didn't make that up? Nope. All right. Oh, I didn't exaggerate? No exaggeration. Probably a little less. Probably, probably I'm being gracious. Wow. So does that mean the average employee was stealing four hours worth of wages every day? Yes. Yes. Interesting thought. All right. You shall not steal. How about am I stealing from my employer if I deal with personal matters on paid time? Yeah. Yeah. All not in our heads. Now, that was really easy for us to talk about back before COVID. <laughs> but now that we're working from home, when am I working and when am I when am I not working? Nobody knows. And, and if I'm working and my child comes running in to ask me a question or they just cut their little brother's finger off, they just need a band-aid. We won't go that far. So do I have to clock out to go do that? And again, these are things that for us to say, I don't steal because I haven't taken a gun and committed armed robbery, or I always give back the extra change. Or when I do find a dollar laying on the floor, I turn it into the cashier rather than put it in my pocket. You know, whatever happened to finders, keepers, losers, weepers? I mean, that's what I was taught. <laughs> or how about let's go the other side. We've been picking on y'all for working. Am I paying my employees a fair wage for their day's work? Am I charging my customers a fair price for my goods and services. Let, let's get really up close and personal. 
We've talked repeatedly in this series about a passage, two different passages of scriptures. We've looked at Luke's version, we've looked at Matthew's version. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your body. So, when I don't do that, am I robbing God from something that is His? Interesting thought. And again, as long as we're, I don't want to miss anybody's toes here. Um, <laughs> do you think God really meant it when he inspired the authors of scripture in Malachi to say that when we don't bring the whole tithe into God's storehouse, we're literally robbing God? Interesting thought. That's all just bonus information that you can figure out on your own. Because it, I didn't see it as my role to come up here and say, here's what's stealing and here's what isn't. God gave us an incredible gift called a conscience. Some of us, it can become very easy to push that to the back. But I would just say it's important for us to remember, because again, we're calling this core values for Christ followers. It's important for us to remember that as Christ followers, we are not just called to a higher standard than our neighbors. We are called to the highest standard of integrity. Even if we're not out committing armed robbery, I would challenge all of us to wrestle a bit with this core value. Because how we respond to this can reveal some, some deeper issues that will, without question, sidetrack us from our pursuit of godliness. Amen. As I've already said several times during this season, series of messages, for every you shall not in the core values, or, excuse me, or the Ten Commandments, for every you shall not statement, there are a number of you shall statements implied or applications implied. And I'm just going to throw four at you today. The first question I have you wrestle with a bit when it comes to you shall not steal. And Lori kind of opened the door to this. Am I consistently motivated by a commitment to unconditional obedience or an attitude of entitlement. Friends, most all of us have been raised with a sense of fairness that I would suggest to you may not always be grounded in biblical truth. There's a story in Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, and it's a parable about workers in the vineyard. And I'm going to date myself a little bit. Some of you know that I'm, you know, older than dirt. And I come from a somewhat rural background. And so I can remember time. I don't know if this happens anymore because nobody bales hay. But you're, do many of you remember seeing normal-sized bales of hay? You know, all right, some of you remember that. And what I recall is when it was time to bale hay, all the local farmers were looking for help. All right? And in small communities, it was not uncommon if you wanted to work baling hay, you went out and hung out downtown. And they would come to town and they'd say, I need four guys. 
Um, no, I had you last time, and you didn't work worth a darn. Uh, but, but they would take four people, and they'd go bale hay. Well, that goes way back to Bible times. And in Matthew chapter 21, there's a story. They weren't bailing hay, but they were picking grapes. And this vineyard owner went into town about 6 o'clock in the morning, and he said, need some help in my vineyard. And he hired some people. He said, I will pay you a fair day's wage. A denarius is what it was called. That was basically indicating a day's pay. He said, I will pay you a denarius if you will come and work in my vineyard today. And he got a handful of people said, cool. Well, they got out there and they worked and come about nine o'clock, they've been at it about three hours. And he looked around and he said, yeah, these guys are working hard, but they're not gonna get it done. So he went back into town about nine o'clock and he said, I need some more people. A few more people, okay, good, let's go. All right, so they go back and they're working away. Three hours later, about noon, he says, ah, oh, we're not gonna get it done. So he went and got some more. And the same thing about 3 o'clock. I mean, some of these folks have been there since 6 o'clock in the morning. And they're working away. And, and he brings back some more at 3 o'clock. Come 3 o'clock, he's, man, I don't think we're going to get it done. So I went back into town and there were still some more people. How bad must you be if you're still available at 5 o'clock? But anyway, <laughs> all right. Uh, but so he, he brought them back and set them work. Once it finally got to, you know, dark 30, and it's time to quit for the day, it was time to settle up. And he started with the people that started at 6 o'clock, and he gave them their dollars, their day's wage. Well, cool, all right? But then he gave the people that started at 9 o'clock the same amount. And the folks that started at 6 are starting to think, well, that's not right. And then... And, you know, the people that start at noon, they got the same thing. They all get to work for six hours and they got the same amount. The folks that started at three o'clock got the same. The folks that started at five o'clock got the same. Am I the only one here who's thinking this isn't fair? Huh? It's just not fair. Why is it not fair? Because he paid the people that started at six what he promised he would pay them. But somehow they thought it was fair. That was a story about generosity. And he said, what does it matter to you if I choose to be generous? Dean touched on this when I asked for definitions of stealing. One of the greatest temptations to steal, to take something that's not ours, flows from seeing something that I think I deserve. They have it, and I want or deserve it. Therefore, I will help myself to it. So I go back to this. Am I consistently motivated by a commitment to unconditional obedience? Those people that started at 6 a.m. said, I will work all day for this amount. That was unconditional obedience. But as they saw others getting something that they thought they deserved, they began to shift into an attitude of entitlement. It's a slippery slope, folks, and one we just always need to have in the back of our mind. Next question I would put before us is, do I live as if I truly believe God knows what is best for me, or does my behavior suggest I think God is holding out on me and that I deserve more or I deserve better? 
We're not going to go to this story, but can I just say that that attitude is where Eve got in trouble. And we've been paying the price ever since. All right? The temptation, the serpent, Satan, tempted Eve by suggesting that God was holding out on her. And as she bought into that, she began to compromise and cross boundaries that should never have been crossed. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 has this to say. Uh, again, Paul is writing to the people of Philippi. And again, just to remind, Paul was a missionary and, and they had been supporting him. And he's writing them a letter. And in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he says this. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. He's actually thanking them for supporting him. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Can I just say... One of the most important tools to combat the temptation to violate core value number eight is contentment. That's right. Okay? Isn't that reasonable? If I'm satisfied with what I have, whether it's a little or whether it's a lot, then it doesn't matter what somebody else has. I don't want it and I don't need it because I'm satisfied with what I have. Not complacent, not unwilling to work, but a satisfaction with believing that God knows what's best for me. There are times that I think God doesn't give me buku money because he understands that if I had buku money, I probably wouldn't be as dependent upon him as I am. And he knows that I would probably just make a mess of things. <laughs> and that's not anything about you, but it's just saying, sometimes I have to say, you know what, God? I trust you that you have my best interest at heart, rather than thinking I deserve more and I deserve better. And, and I won't say this about you, but I can tell you, God and I have to talk about that from time to time. All right? The third one. Do my actions and attitudes reflect a spirit of generosity, or do I appear to be driven by self-centeredness? And again, Lord kind of spoke to this from the illustration from John chapter 12. I'm going to share from a, a familiar passage of Scripture on this subject, and it's from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Starts off by saying, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we would be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and it is and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Again, it speaks to that issue of contentment and contrasts it with an attitude of generosity. 
Paul continues and he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous, willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Just a thought. The material application of self-centeredness is greed. And greed for generations, for centuries, has thrown into that wonderful group we call the seven deadly sins. And just, by the way, you can be just as greedy with a little as you can with a lot. We have great capacity to look at folks who have more than we do and think they're greedy. While we're tight-fistedly holding on to everything that we have. Money is not evil. The love of money is evil. Money is just a tool. What we do with it is up to us. Do my attitudes and actions reflect a spirit of generosity? Or do I appear to be driven by self-centeredness? The last one I want to throw at you is taking a look in the mirror and taking a look around. Do those who know me best see me as a giver or a taker? And how does God see me? When somebody looks at their phone and caller ID and your name shows up, are they thinking, what does he want now? Or what is he calling to give me? Hmm. Do people see me as a giver or as a taker? And friends, I suspect my just suggesting that immediately people come to mind. I suspect we all know people who, if we were honest with ourselves or honest with them, who we just think they're just takers. They're just users. And I suspect we also know people who... I mean, there are people in my life, I'm careful to say anything that I may want or need because they may run out and get it for me. That's just the way they are. And so I, I'm really cautious about saying, oh, my, whatever, bro, because they might just show up on my door with a new one. It's easy to look out around us and say, oh, yeah, take or take her, oh, give her, give her, give her, take her, take her. <laughs> What about me? What about me? How do people see me as a giver or as a taker? And how does God see me? It's interesting. In Ephesians chapter 4, when, when Paul's laying out some of the stuff we need to do to get our life in order to, to put off the old, the nasty old stuff and to put on the good new stuff that God has for us. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, he says this. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. If you're stealing, stop it. All right? It's just simple. Stop doing that. But Paul says, oh, there's so much more to that. He says, 
Those who've been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands, that not, not just so they don't need to steal, so they don't choose to steal anymore, but so that they may have something to share with those in need. Going from being a taker to being a giver. As I said, God holds us to the, or we are striving for the highest standard. So it's not enough to stop taking. God's calling us to start giving. Paul addresses this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Preachers love this passage when we're talking about giving, but I, I'm talking about generosity in general. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting with verse 6. Paul writes, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Friends, if you know somebody's a taker, do you want to give them anything? No, because they're going to take what they want. But when you see somebody who's not a taker, it's like if they've got a need, oh, that's cool. I'd love to give them something. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, you have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every good way so that you may so that you can be generous on every occasion and through your genera and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You shall not steal equals you shall choose obedience over entitlement. You shall choose contentment over craving for more. You shall choose generosity over self-centeredness. And you shall choose giving over greed. Would you pray with me, please? <clears throat> Fathers, I've said several times uh, throughout the course of these messages. Jesus reminded us often that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. So it is not enough for us to simply keep hands off what belongs to others. You've called us to so much more. And as some of the things we've looked at help us to unpack, that includes attitudes of generousness or generosity, attitudes of obedience, choosing to put others ahead of ourselves, choosing to trust that you do have our best interest at heart and that you will take care of us as you see fit. Not to say we don't have a responsibility to take care of stuff. But it does say, suggest that sometimes we need to accept that maybe you don't want us to have some of the stuff that we think we ought to have. Father, I ask that you would 
take what has been said today and let each person wrestle with it in their own heart and in their own mind. And Father, it is my prayer unashamedly that for everyone who hears these words, we would increasingly be seen by others and by you as givers and never seen as takers. We thank you and I praise you, Father.